Got your Bibles ready? Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The prophet is prophesying and he's writing this, and the year was about A.D. 600. In the 700s, the nation of Assyria had already begun the invasions of Israel and uh, taking the people out and taking them away. They never basically went into exile. They were taken, but Israel was never taken into an exile where they returned, the northern ten tribes. And so from in the 700s, the Assyrians came, and basically it was the end of existence of Israel. The Israel we speak of today are the Jews, which comes from Judah, which was the southern two tribes, or the second tribe was made up of two half-tribes. So Judah... Their invasions began, and it was because of their disobedience to God, it was because of their wickedness, it was because of their sin, and it was about in the year 605 BC that Nebuchadnezzar began the invasion of the the nation of Judah, and then eventually the city of Jerusalem was taken. Every other town around was taken, and uh, Jerusalem stood alone with its temple, and then eventually 605 And the first lot of exiles went out, and Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were amongst those young nobles that were taken out. And the nation was completely, people were completely displaced in exile. Now, the Babylonians had a reputation, if you read the prophetic descriptions and the language of them, very much similar to what was written in the book of Nahum. They were coming, and Joel, they were coming like a plague of locusts. They were fierce. The book of Revelation as well. And they were a fierce tribe. They were fierce people. They would conquer all. They would destroy everything in front of them. Basically, it was a policy of, um, you know, just burn everything down. Just raise everything to the ground. You know, pillage, plunder, rape, take, you know, destroy. And they would displace people to their cities and towns. And then they would take people from other nations, put them into that nation. So there could never be an identity with that country, that region, or the temple, or the cities, so that they would ever rise up against the Babylonians. But you know, God in His grace restored the Jews back to the land. And uh, of course, you know, today it more or less still exists. So it was part of the judgment. But Habakkuk's whole thing, so I can't go too much into it, but Habakkuk's whole thing is, he looked at the wickedness of the Jews, the people of Judah. He looked at the wickedness of his own people, and it broke his heart. But at the same time, He was looking at the wickedness of the Babylonians. This was his great question. And his question was this, how can you, being a righteous and a holy God, use a more wicked nation to punish your people who, yes, are wicked, but they're even more wicked? And that was basically the cry of of Habakkuk. And that's why in Habakkuk chapter 2, you will see in verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4, he goes and does something. And he says, God, I need an answer. I need an answer. First of all, concerning this question, and he says, he says this, I'll go and station myself on the ramparts, and then I will go and watch to see to what God will say, to what you will say. Yeah. Now, you don't normally watch to see, you listen to hear, but unless you're a prophet or you understand the prophetic language, unless you're a member of ACF, you know that when you want God to speak, you go and watch to see what he will say. Is that okay? But number one, he stationed himself. He put himself in a place where he could see or hear. 
from God, number one. And then when God did speak to him, he said, all right, I want you to get a tablet. I want you to write it down. I want you to write the revelation down because there's an appointed time for it. In other words, what God was saying, what I'm going to tell you is going to happen. Come on, this is an amen. Because unless, you know, I hope you have realized that I'm going to be talking a little bit about revival this morning and the importance of praying for revival. Is that okay? So that's what I'm talking about this morning. And so it's a prayer for revival eventually that Habakkuk ends up praying. But in Habakkuk chapter 2, he's going, okay, God, you need to speak to me. I need an answer. And of course, God did answer that. And he said, they overstepped the mark when they came and they were instruments of my judgment. So they too will be judged. And they were judged by the Medo-Persian Empire. They overstepped, so they were judged by the Grecian Empire. They overstepped, so they were judged by the Roman Empire. Any nation that oversteps against the people of God ends up judged. If there is a one-world government, if there is an Illuminati... If there is all of those things and they're plotting and planning and that part of their attempt to get worldwide dominion in any way touches on and impinges on the church, they will come down. History records it. Amen. Amen. They will be completely destroyed. Nobody touches the church of God because we are part of the kingdom and God has got kingdom purposes in mind for the entire planet. Amen. And so we need to be of... That group of people that has the same spirit as Habakkuk the prophet and say, God, what we're seeing is wrong, but what they're doing to your people is equally wrong. And we need to pray something. Is that okay? But with the understanding that God will answer, and that's what Habakkuk was doing. So he was ready to write down what God would say, and he recorded it in the prophecy of Habakkuk. All good. So in Habakkuk chapter 3, this is what he now says. And it's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, verse 1. And he says, it's upon Shigionoth. Now, please somebody, I know that this is a very educated church. What does Shigionoth mean? You just don't know, hey? Shigionoth is a form of music, as I said in the beginning of the service. It's a style of music that's wild, it's erratically ecstatic, it's enthusiastically wild, it's rhythmic, and um, it's a powerful, powerful form of music. It's a motive, it's a kind that awakens your spirit, and this is how Habakkuk wrote this prophecy. It's extremely, extremely powerful. Shigunoth, commentators say, carries strong emotion, erratic wandering, wild tumult, So it was set to a dithyram, a vehement, impassioned type of music and a poem. Everybody say, wow. Okay, say it enthusiastically. Wow. Okay, whoa. All right. So Habakkuk chapter 3. So this is what he says, verse 2. He says this, O Lord, O Lord. He says it twice in two sentences. O Lord, I've heard of your speech. In other words, what people have spoken about you. In other words, as the NIV says, I've heard of your fame. And he said, I was afraid. I was overawed. I was amazed when I heard the stories. In other words, a lot of what he heard were the stories of his forebears that were carried down orally of how God delivered them coming out of Egypt. 
Everybody say amen. amen. In other words, he was referring back to past actions of God. And then he says this, I stand in awe of your yeah. deeds. I'm overwhelmed. God, you're able. I mean, we sang it in the first song, Rattle, where it's like God is able to do it. God is able. Isn't that right? God is able to raise the dead. God is able to bring back an army of skeletons and put flesh on them and for the people to stand up again. If you didn't know, that actually Ezekiel was in exile with the people of Judah, and that vision was concerning them, that they were just bones. And God said to Ezekiel, come on, start to prophesy flesh, start to prophesy sinew, start to prophesy, you know, the coming together, start to prophesy, speak to the wind, speak to the spirit, prophesy, you know, breath into them. And then they stood up a great army, and he was prophesying the return of Judah back and to be formed as a nation, but as they were as good as dead and buried. And it happened. Come on, church, say it happened. So in other words, if we would just learn a lesson from Habakkuk and do what Habakkuk did, if we would learn a lesson from Ezekiel and do what Ezekiel did, then this nation can live again. Then your situation that looks dead and buried can live again. Isn't that right? So he said, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now James tells us in James chapter 2, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so it's not God's desire to punish. There's consequences of sin that we are seeing. We see it in our own lives. We see it in churches. We see it in the nation, the consequences of sin. But it is not God's heart. God's heart is to show mercy. Is that okay? Let me tell you something. Revival is the mercy of God that will triumph over all the consequences, the judicial consequences of sin. When God comes in person and invades our land and shows mercy to his creation. Is that okay? So that's why Habakkuk says, I stand in awe of your deeds. I can see your miracle working power. He says, oh Lord, renew them in our day. So listen to this. It is possible then. Because Habakkuk was saying, what you did then, do it now. It's in the Bible, folks. Is that okay? What he's done in other revivals, it is then possible that God can do it now in our time. So I'm running ahead of myself a little bit. But I want us to, this morning, I just want to give us an outline very quickly. We don't have to go far. We don't have to stretch our imaginations. But if we just look at the state of our nation, and if we look at the state of the world, it's in a a sad need of God. It's in a sad need of something else. And I want to just tell you that everybody is speaking it. Everybody. Some of our family of churches are having meetings and conferences called Awakening. Everybody's doing revival meetings. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is speaking something to pastors and leaders and prophets and saying there's something coming and there's something that's going to happen. So the greatest need is for revival. We need a fresh infusion of divine life into the church for an awakening in the lives of God's people and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Habakkuk was praying. Now, if we just look at it again, Habakkuk chapter 3, in the King James translation, King James is more accurate, and um, I just love that old language. But he says, O Lord, the word O there, just O Lord, expresses a deeply felt 
longing for revival. Church, I've been around long enough, and I'm your pastor, and I know you reasonably well, the majority of you. Paul says this, you know, in some things I have praise for you because you're doing this and this and this, and he says in other things I don't have praise for you. So part of where I don't have praise is because, and even for myself, because very often we'll shout and scream and get excited and say, God sent revival, but we'll do absolutely nothing about it. Absolutely nothing. Other than shout and scream and get excited on Sunday and go, whew, that was a good meeting. We've been pumped up and whatever. And it's like, whoa, well, we get out and we'll say, and maybe, maybe that afternoon, but it completely fizzles out even of our conversation. Yes. The need for revival. I want to tell you, go and study church history. I have. And go and look at the history of revivals. I have. The reason why we are here and have what we have today is because of waves of repeated revivals that hit nations and countries and changed the face of the landscape spiritually. Is that okay? It was only revival. It was not big evangelistic crusades, though they're important and extremely necessary. It was revivals. Fire that jumped continents. Fires that began in the United Kingdom and Europe that jumped over the Atlantic and into America. Fire that began in America jumped over into uh, Europe and then into Africa. It was the fire of God. You know, Azusa Street and many others, and one of the recent ones where the Pentecostal movement began and the baptism in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues was born and changed entire countries, changed the morality of nations. That's why... You know, constitutions of many countries are so founded on God, but modern constitutions, and sadly even our own constitution has become liberal, and it's become secular, and it's no longer God-centered. We need a revival where even the constitutions of the country go back to a biblical basis. Come on, church. And the word O expresses a deep Heartfelt longing. I mean, is there any oh in our hearts when we address God and say, God, we need revival. Give us revival or we die. That's what many of the revivalists said because they'd experienced revival, experienced moves of God. And when they didn't see it anymore, they knew that hope was diminishing for their nations and they began to cry out. Deep, heartfelt, longing, crying prayer. That's also a part of what Shigenoth means. Amen. And when he also, when he said, I stand in awe of your deeds. Come on, church. We just got to look at the state of churches. Two incidences this week. I spoke to a young man this week, and he was pastoring a church, but he's just been taken up into the corporate world, and he's CEO of a company in, in the Cape. And, and I, it was on my heart, and I phoned him. And he said, I've been watching what you're doing on live stream. It's, it's fantastic. He said, it's brilliant. He says, it's not even so much what you're doing, it's the fact that you're doing something. He said, Prophet, you know, I get around the country a lot. He says, do you know how many churches in COVID have shut their doors and they don't exist? And I look at you and he said, you're still planting churches. You're still doing outreaches. You're still touching people. And he said, I see on live stream and your church is running full. And he said, other churches have closed. That's to the grace and the glory of God. Amen. But listen, listen, if we look around, that's a sad statistic. We don't need less churches. We need more churches. That's why I want to plant churches, plant churches, plant churches, churches to come under me. And I want to get them revived. 
One of our churches, the pastor and his wife attended on Friday and they took video clips. They're so inspired. They said, we're showing the video clips on the screen this morning because we want to inspire people to do what your church is doing. Amen. Come on, church. Yes. There's a lost world out there. There's a broken right. world out there. That's right. One lady was standing behind the stage and... Um, Afterwards, she said to Shereen, thank you so much. That singing was so beautiful. Wow. She said, check, I'm still gooseys. She said, I'm just gooseys. She said, that was so beautiful. And Shereen said, no, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. She said, I was on the way to the pub to go and get drunk. She says, but I couldn't pass here, and I just stood and I sang with you all the time. Have a mind to the pub. Come on, say amen. Come on. There's people out there that want what we have, church. Because we've got something. But I want to tell you, we need to get some more of that something. Amen. 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 Because the sad state of churches, the sad state of affairs, things are not going the way that they should be going. Is that right? Isn't it amazing that the very thing we should be doing is the least attended meeting of the church? The prayer meeting. There's only one thing that's needed for revival. One thing. Prayer. But that's the very thing we don't do. Only one thing. One thing. Yeah, live a right life. Yes, preach the word. Yes, and we're doing that. But there's one thing. Every revival is birthed and sustained in prayer that starts with a, oh. Oh God, will you not do something? We in Afrikaans, I think you say, did rock me on. Where it touches my heart. Where it grips me. Where I cannot sleep. Where there's something inside of me that feels like if it's not going to break, it's going to explode. And if it's not going to explode, something. But I am so desperate for God to move because I'm moved by the sin. I am moved by apathy. I am moved by the fact that people are lost. I am moved even by my own lack of zeal and fire and passion for God. God, I want to be on fire for you. Oh, God. Oh. John Wesley. People came to John Wesley. And they said to him, how is it that people come far to listen to you? And he said, well, that's easy. He said, I light myself with fire and Passion and people travel for miles to come and watch me burn. Come on, church. Are people attracted to the fire, the zeal, the burning love for God inside of us and want to come and say, Man, when I'm around you, you know, I just experience God. When you're around, I see miracles happen. Amen, Amen, church. Come on. You know, let's get ourselves on fire and people will come from miles to watch us burn with the fiery passion of God. That's why they fill the rugby stadiums because those people are more passionate about a game on the field than we are of a God who's in heaven and on earth and is with us. I was just so blessed. Morris and Yanni are down for the week in KZN, Shelly Beach area. And they met this beautiful two ladies, an Indian mom and her daughter. And her daughter has kind of committed her heart to the Lord, but the mom is still Hindu. And uh, they both experienced great tragedies, lost their husbands, you know, the mom and the daughter. And the daughter has a daughter. And they came up with an idea to start a little 
little restaurant called the Green Chili, and they make just great, fantastic Indian food, beautiful food. And um, Marius and Yanni discovered them, and, and so they eat there quite a lot when they're away on holiday, but they become, they so befriended them. So Morris and Yanni needed a break, and they decided to go down this week. They decided to go down, and they left Thursday morning because Friday, and uh, Morris and Yanni affectionately call the mother, who is the, sort of the boss of the whole thing, they affectionately call her Ma. And now Ma is only about this big. <laughs> but her heart is, you know, she's amazing. And what they're doing is incredible. I mean, she suffers. When Bev and I were down, we met up, we had lunch, we prayed for Ma as well. But it was her birthday, and this touched me so deeply. On Friday night was her birthday. They said there was about 50 people in the restaurant, and people came to honor Ma, and they were eating in the restaurant. And then Ma got up. It was her turn to speak. And Ma got up to speak, and then she said uh, a few words, and then she said, but I want Marius to come up and stand with me. And got Marius to come up and then turned to Marius and said, Marius, I want to give my life. To the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. So he had the privilege of leading her to Jesus because he's on fire with the love of God. Amen. Come on. We need personal revival. Then we'll have church wide revival. Then we'll have Banera Park revival. Then we'll have East Rand revival. Then we'll have South Africa revival. Come on, we need to get on fire. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach more about the fire of God. Amen? The second is, he repeats the word Lord twice. Lord twice in capitals, you know. And he's saying, Lord, will you not revive us again? We've heard of your fame. We've heard of what you're doing. God, won't you do it? We understand then from that very simple thing is that revival originates with God. Amen. Listen, church. And that has become an excuse in the church world. Well, if God's will, we will have revival. It's never the way that God works. Listen, it originates with Him, but it comes through us. It comes through lives that are given to God, who will seek God, who will pray towards God and spend time in His presence. Amen. So the third thing is, He said, I've heard of your fame and I stand in awe. This is how revival begins. It originates with the Lord, but it begins when we stand and when we, like Habakkuk, say, I have heard, me, I've heard of past revivals. Will you do it for me? I want revival. It's not a corporate thing. It becomes a corporate thing. But it begins with you and I as an individual praying, I, me. Amen? And so Isaiah 62 verses 1 and 2 says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, but where is the house you will build for me? Then he says this, where will my resting place be? It will be, he says, with those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble and who stand in awe of my word, especially the word that where God says, I will do it again. It tells me that revival can begin in one person. And the incredible thing is, national revival did come eventually to Judah. But who did it begin with? It began with this prophet. It began with this prophet who said, Lord, will you not revive us again? Amen. Is that okay? Now Habakkuk had picked up on a series of scriptures. And it started in Numbers 14.21. 
where God said, in the face of the sin of Israel, when they formed the calf and worshipped the calf, and Moses blocked God from destroying the people with his intercession, and pleaded, rather show mercy, otherwise what will people say? And then God relented of that, and he made a promise, Numbers 14, 21, but as surely as I live, my glory shall fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And it's picked up by Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he went to church. We spoke about it the other morning. And he began to praise and exalt the Lord. And the angels began to shout and scream, holy. And then one of the things they said is, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah picks it up later in Isaiah 45 when he said, the spirit of God will fall on everyone in the whole earth and everyone will see it at once. Isaiah 40 verses 1 to 5, I think it is, Isaiah 40. It's picked up by the psalmist in Psalm 72, but it's picked up again by Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And he says, the whole earth shall be covered with the glory of God, full of the glory of God, as the waters cover the sea. Woo! There it is. Come on, let's read it together. The whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, It'll be covered with the knowledge of the glory. In other words, everybody will be experiencing the glory of God. So listen to what happens now. So we read it. Let's go back to Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, which we read. And something happens to Habakkuk. He starts off, it's set to Shignioth, and he's just ecstatic, this poem. Oh Lord, I've heard of your fame. And I mean, it's wild, it's ecstatic. He's singing this prophetic word, this prayer, this petition. And he said, and I was afraid I was in awe. Revive thy work. Let me just quickly mention that. What is the work of God? The prime, the premium work of God is not the physical creation. You and I are his work. Amen? We are his workmanship. So he wasn't saying revive the animals and the planets and the stars. He was saying revive us, your people. We the works of your hands. Revive us. Is that okay? And he said, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In other words, what he was saying, this is the worst of the worst times. Can you not come now? Can you not revive us, O God? And then he goes on to say, in the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, this is a powerful prayer, but let's have a look at verse 3. In verse 3, everything changes. In verse 3, He's not praying, he's prophesying. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses, and and, and let's make a comment on it. Are you ready? God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. Pause. Think about that. He's running a parallel here. He's talking about the day on Mount Sinai when God came on the mountain. And the glory of God. There was a fire, there was smoke, and there was thunder. They say, they say that the glory of God, when it settled on Mount Sinai, was so bright. There's a hill nearby, I think it was Mount Seir. And I did a study on this. They say the glory of God shining from Sinai was so bright, it was reflecting back off that other mountain kilometers away. And they said the brightness was like, it was like the coming of God. Mm. And as Habakkuk is praying, he's not near Sinai. He's in Jerusalem. He's not near Sinai. 
But suddenly, because he's been complaining, but now he's praying, but now he's seeing God is coming as a response to my prayers. Come on, church. Come on, church. And he says, his glory covered the heavens. Prophetically, he's seeing God coming. Didn't he just say, the knowledge of his glory will fill the whole earth? Now he's going like, whoa, the glory of God is covering the heavens. And the earth is full of his praise. The praise is in response to the glory. Verse 4, and then he says this, and his brightness was as the light. In other words, it was like the rising sun. And then he had horns coming out of his hand, and therein was the hiding of his power. The horns coming out of his hand, it wasn't, you know, like horns growing out of his hand. No, the horns coming out of his hand was he was holding the seven vials, the seven horns of oil that we see in the book of Revelation. He was holding in his hand the sevenfold Spirit of God, saying, right, I'm coming with glory, and I'm going to pour out the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. What a prophecy. He said, therein is the hiding of his power. It's in his hand, in the fullness, to bless. So what is he seeing? He's seeing, man... I've just prayed this prayer, and now I've seen. I'm going to write it down so that a herald can run with us. I see God coming to this nation. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. We need, we need. You and I need to get into the presence of God and go and seek God with an O and a Lord, knowing that it comes, but making ourselves available and crying out to God and seeing God come in reviving power. Amen. And so the answer begins to come. One person can open the door through which the risen Lord can enter into a nation. One person. It was Evan Roberts, as a youth leader, not even the pastor of the church, who began to pray with a group of young people in Wales. And they began to seek God for revival. And their prayer was, God, bend us and bend the church so you can break the world. And revival fell in the early 1900s that shook the entire world. It was two ladies, Christine and Peggy Smith, 182, 184, one blind, one in a wheelchair. They were distraught about the situation in their nation. And they sat in their chairs in the house because they were housebound. They couldn't get out. And they interceded until they saw in visions of God, here comes revival. And they heard God say, call Reverend Duncan Campbell. He will be the preacher. But those two ladies conducted, orchestrated, fired, backed the entire revival because they had a, oh, cry in their hearts. Amen. And people came from everywhere to watch it. There was an American Negro man, blind in one eye, Daddy Seymour, who would just pray, living in Azusa Street. They found a little place, a little church, where they would cry out to God, and then the glory of God would fall in the place. And he didn't want to take any credit for the glory. So he had a little wooden apple box. When the glory of God fell, he bowed with his face to the ground and put the apple box over his head and hid himself in humility so people would not see him but see the glory of God. Wow. And he prayed. And that revival is still continuing. It's called Pentecost, where people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you stories after stories, after stories. But it started with people who had an O in their hearts for God. We've already seen every political party has proven 
that their politics is not going to change this country. In fact, those very political parties are doing more damage, more harm, bringing about more division in this country than anything else. There's no healing. There's no restoration, let alone no service. They are the worst criminals in the whole country. I mean, just look at how they're murdering one another because they see if this person gets elected, they will get the money. I want the money. They shoot them down in cold blood. I mean, how wicked. And if we don't pray, church, we don't pray. If we don't get revival, and I don't want to put an undue burden on you, but if we don't pray, we will inherit the country that we have not prayed for. But if we pray, church, if there's an oh, if there's the groanings in our heart, if there's the seekings of God, we will get the country that we pray for. Amen. History shows it. Amen. In the midst of years, he can do it. The words make known, reveal the effect of revival. He said, Lord, would you just make known in the midst of years your fame? Would you do it here? Would you do it with us? Would you reveal yourself? It tells me that revival is not just you know, excited praise. Revival is God moving. I've been in revival. I have experienced revival. Revival is not good preaching, although there's good preaching in revival. Revival is not good praise and worship, though there's good praise and worship because it's so filled with God. Revival is not evangelism, but evangelism is good because then those that are going out are so fired up with the power of God. Revival is, includes those, but it's not those, if you understand what I'm saying. Revival is where God takes charge of the atmosphere, where God initiates the meetings, where God so fills the meetings that it's God and only God and pure God. That's why the Armenians are crying out in their hearts and saying there is revival and they're saying, we have to get John John back because we saw the revival. Ashot, Pastor Ashot said, many of them still weep about those days in 2001, where God was moving up to about 2004, 2005, where God was meeting. If you've ever been in revival, you don't want anything else but revival. If you've experienced it, you don't want another thing. Nothing else satisfies you. Ordinary services don't do it. You have to have God moving. He takes charge of the very atmosphere. No longer do you sense demonic forces. No longer do you sense the apathy. No longer do you sense the sort of spirit of the world and spirit of mammon. You don't feel those things. Everywhere in the atmosphere, you feel the very presence of God. And it's easy to move and it's easy to do something for God. Come on, church. We need to get to a place. Maybe we can take the outline of Habakkuk and start to pray and say, God, would you send revival? And we don't get off our faces. We don't stop until we see God moving. That is the only hope for South Africa. Amen. Amen. I want us to, and I'm not trying to put pressure on you to get to a prayer meeting. I know many of you come long distances. But what I'm saying is find a place in your home and turn it into your altar. Find a place at home where you can just get with God. And uh, even if it is the lazy boy in the lounge when you normally watch TV, switch the TV off or put praise and worship on and then just begin to cry out to God for revival for this nation. Amen. Amen. It is what the Spirit is saying generally. We need to get to a place where we pray. Take some time out every day or make it part of your daily devotions where you can say, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to pray for revival. 
If you don't know what to pray, I'll give you verses to pray. If you can't get to me and you haven't got verses to pray, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Amen. And you can say, God, I'm praying for revival. Do shignioff in your prayer language. And start to pray, God, would you move? God, would you come and change this nation? God, would you come and revive us? Start with me. Amen. I like what one revival preacher says. He said, if you want revival, draw a circle, stand in it, and then say, God, start with the person in this circle. Amen. Amen. There's power in the spoken word when it's lived out. Amen. So this is not just about to shake you and stir you, and then we leave without action. Come on, church. I'm asking you. Jared Cooper's church last night was the last night of 21 days continuous praying. We need to do something like that. Amen. Amen. We're going to do it in the next couple of weeks. We'll do a Monday to Friday of prayer. We get together and all we're going to do is we're going to pray for a move of God. Is that okay, church? We need to pray. It's no good saying amen and then doing nothing. Your amen will be when you're at the prayer meetings. Is that okay? In the meantime, make it a regular feature of your prayer and start to pray for God to move in this nation. It's not that evil men do what they do. The great evil is when good men, good people do nothing. So we need to do something. So the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord give you his peace, his blessing. The Lord give you his joy. The Lord give you prosperity. The Lord just give you fresh zeal, fresh passion, fresh motivation. The Lord be with you this entire week in Jesus' name. So be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Amen. Be blessed.